Once there was this man who had two sons. One day, the younger son came to his father and said, Father, eventually I am going to inherit my share of your estate. Rather than waiting until you die, I want you to give me my share now. And so the father liquidated assets and divided them. Not many days later, the younger son took all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property and reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country. And he began to be in need. He felt so hungry that he wished he could eat the slop the pigs were eating. But nobody gave him anything. That brought him to his senses, and he said, All those farmhands working for my father sit down to three meals a day. And here I am, starving to death. I'm going back to my father. I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against God, and I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son. Take me on as a hired hand. He got right up and went home to his father. The father looked off into the distance and saw the young man returning. He felt compassion for him. He ran to him, enfolded him in an embrace, and kissed him. The son said, Father, I have done a terrible wrong in God's sight and in your sight too. I have forfeited any right to be treated as your son. But the father turned to his servants and said, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet. Go and get the fattest calf and butcher it. Let's have a feast and celebrate because my son was dead. And is alive again. He was lost. He was lost. He was lost. And has been found. Well, good morning. My name is Brian, uh, one of the pastors here at the church, and just want to welcome you here to uh, worship here this morning, uh, both here in this room and in the East Auditorium. And uh, with that, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of John, chapter 10. And uh, if you don't have a Bible of your own or on a smart device, you should find one there in the pew rack in front of you. And in the East Auditorium, there's some folks walking around with some Bibles that you can use. And in both rooms, if you don't have a Bible of your own, we invite you to take that uh, as your own as a gift from us to you today. And so as you turn there... Um, I want to ask uh, an, a question that will likely be very uh, divisive, uh, both in this room and the East Auditorium today. <laughs> you should have seen your heads pop up. And the question is this, is the snooze button on the alarm, is it the greatest invention ever? Or is it the worst invention ever? Is the snooze button on the alarm, is it the greatest invention in the world or is it the worst invention in the world? And your answer to that question depends on probably whether or not you are a user of it. For those of you who like to use the snooze button, well then it's probably the best invention in the world. However, for those of you who live with someone who likes to use the snooze button, again, and again, and again, whether it's a spouse or a roommate or maybe one of your kids, and hit it again and over and over and over, then it's probably the worst invention in the world. And really, the snooze button, if we're honest with ourselves, it's built on a myth. And the myth is this, that nine more minutes of sleep will make all the difference. But I'm yet to encounter a person that after nine more minutes of sleep, wake up and just say, Wow, now I feel refreshed. 
Thank you, snooze button. Uh, because the reality is, a lot of awakenings in our life, they're, they're rude awakenings. When that alarm goes off, and again, the, the look on your faces was just pretty priceless. I wasn't anticipating that. Um, it's things we don't want to wake up to. Like maybe, you know, I see some students in the room, you know, you set that alarm extra early because you say, you know what, I'm going to go to bed and I'll study in the morning. And that's when the snooze button becomes pretty handy. Uh, or maybe you have to wake up early for work or some other thing you're not excited to get up for uh, or exercise. What a terrible thing to have to wake up to. Um, and so maybe that's, but for some, sometimes that alarm can be a good thing. It can be a, a good awakening because maybe that alarm is set for, you know, um, a maybe some fishing or going off on a vacation or a tea time. And so depending on what the alarm goes off for depends on our uh, response often to it. Well, here's what I've learned about our spiritual journeys, that in our life, that the alarms that go off, they can sometimes be good awakenings that God has for us, you know, this new aha. We walk out of a message or a sermon or something we read in scripture and it's like, okay, you're encouraged, you're excited for some next steps in your journey with God. But sometimes those awakenings uh, can feel like rude awakenings from God, uh, that it's something you don't want to face, it's something uncomfortable, it's, it's, it's hard to want to wake up to, and we're tempted to hit, in kind of metaphorically speaking, the snooze button on God. Well, throughout this series, Finding Your Way Back to God, we've encountered uh, what we've said are our awakenings. We've been looking at five awakenings in our spiritual journeys that have, at times, been difficult to wake up to. We started week one talking about awakening to longing, that there's this realization that there's got to be more to this life. And then the second awakening was a difficult one, as we talked about the regrets that we wake up to, that we filled that longing with the wrong stuff. And then from there, we awaken to the reality that we're helpless to help ourselves, but that help can arrive in what we called our fourth awakening, which is awakening to love, the good news that our Heavenly Father, just as we have experienced in the prodigal son story, is waiting to receive us and loves us, and that our identity is ultimately found in Him. And so we have, over several weeks, we've followed uh, this story, these key awakenings in the prodigal son story, as we've, alongside of him, discovered awakenings in our own life's stories. And it's been an incredible series. It's been really great to hear the stories both, not in just this church, but in 19 other churches around our community um, where lives have been changed, people have come to Christ, they have changed and, and turned from things, uh, regrets that were, they were filling their lives with the wrong stuff. And uh, if you are new with us today or maybe uh, you've missed some of those weeks, I just want to remind you that you can always catch up on messages that you've missed online at firstdecatororg slash sermons. Or if you have, uh, we have an app here in the life of the church and you can get that on the app store and um, either Android or the Apple deal by searching uh, First Christian Church Decatur and you can find that. And so you can always catch up on messages there. But what we've done each of these weeks is we've examined that prodigal son story. Um, we've seen kind of a different approach. We've not, I don't think ever here taken the same text and look at it again and again and again over several weeks. And so this is our fifth and final week. And as we do that, I want to take a different look at the same story and that I have a question that I've been asking as I've kind of reread it and we've reheard it kind of in the video that precedes the message, and that is this. I understand the story, but the question I have is, what happens after he gets home? Like, what happens the day after the party? You know, he comes home, we've got this great ending, it's a beautiful scene where he comes home to a loving father, he embraces him, there's the big party, but what then? What does the day after the party look like for the son? And that's what a great story does. It leaves us wondering, you know, any great movie, it leaves us wondering what happens next. 
Well, while Jesus doesn't give us an exact description of how the story continues from there, he does, in other passages, paint a picture of what life looks like, a life that has been awakened to God, that has found their way back to God and in relationship to their heavenly father. And so that's what we're going to examine. We're going to examine uh, hypothetically, uh, but in actuality for our lives, what does life now look like the day after the party, when we've come home back to God. And so our fifth awakening is awakening to life. We're going to awaken to the life that God has for us, uh, having a relationship with him. And so as we do that, um, if we were to select just one verse, one passage that really captures what that life looks like, I think we'd be hard-pressed to find uh, a better verse than what we see in John 10.10. And so I invite you to follow along with me, either in your Bibles or on the screen behind me. And it's simply this. Jesus says, This is the life I have for you. I have come that they, that you, that me, that we may have life and have it to the full. Jesus says that the reason I've come is to give you life and life to the full. Or other translations say abundant life. Uh, Some of you might be from an era where uh, a popular kind of snap phrase that somebody was, get a life. Some of you remember this? Get a life. So that's what Jesus is answering. The answer to that question, the life that he wants for you. And so that's the question we want to answer today. What does that life actually look like? When Jesus says, I want to give you life and life to the full, what kind of life does he have in mind for you and for me with a relationship with our Heavenly Father? And so in the Greek where we see this word life, there are actually two words in the original Greek, which the New Testament was written in, that are translated life. So there's two words that represent this one translation, life. Life is the only word we have for these two separate words. So as we parse those out, one of the words used in the original Greek for the word life is the word bios. And bios, it's, uh, from the, it's like the root word for biology. And it refers to really, you could say, our natural life or our chronological state of life. And so just some fun facts for you here this morning about your bios life, uh, that the average bios life includes, and this is based on um, the average lifespan in America of 78.6 years. Out of those 78.6 years, you will spend 25 years of your life sleeping. And I think it's more like 28 if you're an abuser of that snooze button we talked about earlier. Out of those 78.6 years, you will spend 10.3 years of your life at work. And that's based on a 40-hour work week from ages 20 to 65, which I assume many of you have gone beyond that, both in your weekly hours and those years. You will drive a car. This is interesting. You will be driving in a car for 4.3 years of your life. And in that time, you'll cover enough distance to go to the moon and back three times. And then, most depressingly, 9.1 years of your life will be spent in front of a television. Uh, And worse than that, two years will be spent watching commercials. (laughs) Unless you've gotten handy with the DVR. And so all of these things, these are a part of your your bios life. And they don't seem all that exciting, you know, going, driving in a car, or sitting in front of television commercials. You know, it's the kind of stuff that it's like, I'm going through life, but it doesn't feel like there's a whole lot of life going through me. And so the good news is, is that there's another word for life here uh, in the New Testament. And that is a word that is, um, the original word is zoe. Not bias, but zoe. And zoe, it includes a bias kind of life, but it actually goes beyond that. And that, again, bias really speaks to kind of a quantity uh, and a measure of kind of natural life. But zoe 
speaks to a quality of life. It speaks to a quality of life that comes in Scripture, according to Scripture, only from knowing a relationship with our Heavenly Father, knowing God. A Zoe life ultimately is talking about eternal life. And eternal life isn't just heaven someday somewhere, but eternal life is the kind of life that we were made for right here on earth that is, yes, fully realized uh, in eternity, but it's a full life, eternity, both now and forever. And so, when Jesus says in this passage, in John 10, 10, that I have come that you may have life and have life to the full, which word do you think he is using here? That's right, no one answered, but you know it's Zoe, that's fine. Esauturim, you all spoke up, I know it, that's fine. Yeah, Jesus is talking about, the word here, the actual word here is zoe. He's talking about a quality of life that's with God that transforms literally, holistically your entire life. Not just the now, not just the future, but actually through the forgiving work of Jesus Christ actually transforms your past, changes the life that you've already lived up until this point. That is a zoe life. That is a life that is fully grounded in finding our way back to God and having a relationship with our Father. And so, we as a church, uh, many years ago, we set out to discover uh, what does this life look like? What does this Zoe life look like as we are to be called to live it in the life of our church? And so uh, we, as we examine the scriptures, not only in John 10, 10, but throughout all of scripture, scripture is clear that here's what a full life looks like. It is a life that is fully devoted to him. That's a full life. According to God's word, the that which we trust, if we want a full life, it's going to be a life that we've turned over to God. Jesus says it this way, if you want to gain your life, you will actually lose your life for me in order to find it. And so a full life in Jesus Christ is a full life in him. And so we uh, condense that to really a, a mission statement in our church where we say we exist for that reason, that our church, that, that's you and me, it's not a building, we are the church, we exist, our reason on the planet is to become more full of life, to become devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And as we continue to examine God's word to that purpose, the means to that end we discover are through growing together and through serving together. That's what God's word reveals to us, that when we grow together and serve together, we are living in the full devotion uh, to him that we are able to live in that full life. And so as a church, we're committed to growing together. That's why at the beginning of this series, it wasn't just uh, finding your way back to God for a few minutes on a Sunday morning. No, it's a series that also had with it uh, Grow Together Small Groups, where we're working this stuff out with other people and other relationships, uh, with other Christians who are helping to spur on our ultimate relationship with God. It's why we are starting equip classes on, on this Wednesday night, so we can continue to grow together, to be equipped, as it says in Ephesians 4, to be equipped for a Zoe life, for the life that God has planned for us, it says in Ephesians 4. And so, we are committed to growing together, but with that, we also see, according to Scripture, we have a commitment to serve together. We're committed to serve together, that we are called and have the opportunity to, uh, the Bible says, to be stewards, good stewards of our time, of our energy, of our gifts, of our abilities, uh, to serve together, that they're not really ours, or what God has given us, uh, to serve his kingdom and to help others in the same journey that we're on to help others in our community find their way back to God, to help those who have found their way back to God to develop into fully devoted followers of him, our reason for existence. Galatians 5.13 says it this way. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, you were called to be free, to live a full and free life in freedom. But it goes on, do not use that freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly 
in love. And so given this directive from God's word to serve together, I uh, came across some interesting studies in this regard. Uh, Studies that came out of the University of Michigan, University of Louisville, and Duke University. It reveals that people who, get this, who give generously financially and serve generously with time and energy are 42% more likely to report that their lives are happy versus unhappy. That givers and servers are 42% more likely to report lives that are happy versus unhappy than those who are non-servers and non-givers. Furthermore, these studies revealed that our bias version of life, our brain chemistry is actually directly affected by our giving and our serving. Uh, That giving and serving, it says, evokes neurological signals that converge on a small group of interconnected brain areas called the uh, medial forebrain pleasure circuit. I know language that we're all using every day in our lives. Uh, Where at the neurotransmitter dopamine, it releases positive endorphins that scientists, quote, call the helper's high. And it actually produces a mild version of the sensations that people get from drugs like morphine and heroin which is very interesting. And with that, givers and servers have, quote, dramatically lower levels of stress hormones, cortisol, epinephrine, and norepinephrine in their brains. The New York Sun summarizing uh, these reports says, the bottom line from all the research on giving and serving is that it is not just good for your favorite cause, it's good for you too. For relief from stress and depression, it's probably more cost-effective than whatever your doctor might prescribe For getting a little high, it's not illegal and a lot less fattening than booze. I'm just quoting the quote here, folks. Another study uh, by Edward Hollowell with a team of researchers from the Harvard Medical School discovered that the two most powerful and meaningful experiences in life are these, achieving and connecting. The two most powerful experiences in life are achieving, which is reaching a goal and accomplishing something worthwhile, and connecting, relating to someone in a significant way. And so according to Hollowell, really, society um, has become more and more obsessed, it says, with achieving and less and less concerned, more bankrupt in the area of connecting. And that's why they stress, the study stresses that both achieving and connecting, both, as we say, serving and serving together are essential. They're essential to the life, the full life that we've been called to. And it's interesting because you might listen to these and think, okay, why are we looking at, you know, secular findings or, I mean, are these new understandings? Really, these man-made studies, they simply reflect the timeless God-given principles that we were simply created to achieve great things for great meaning and purpose and to not do that in isolation, but to do that interconnected one to another that we are created to achieve together, to serve together. It was interesting in light of this research on giving and serving, uh, someone said, arguably, the most selfish thing that someone could do is give and serve which I thought was kind of a funny way of putting it. And I would say, better said, the way that Jesus says it, as the Apostle Paul quotes him in Acts 20, 35. He says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. That what do you know? Jesus was right when he said, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. And so we recognize that we are at our best, which is God's best when we are giving and serving together. And so... With all this in mind, 
I take us back to that first question that we raised at the beginning of this message as we really conclude this series, and that is, what was life like for the son the day after uh, the party, the day after coming home to his father? Well, I doubt. I doubt he would ever look on someone in need the same way ever again. Or that he would have listened to someone's story of failure and loss with anything less than grace. And I seriously doubt that he would have thought his father's wealth uh, as something that existed solely for his status and comfort. Do you? You see, when we awaken to a Zoe kind of life, a life in life to the full, we realize that really living, again, what scientists and doctors have maybe revealed in recent years has been a reality since the creation of man itself that God created us, imago Dei, which means in his image. He has created us in his image to live a full life that's fully realized when we give and we serve because it is better to give and to serve than it is to receive. And so maybe for you, in response to realizing the son's story and how the son's story continues and how our story then needs to continue, maybe in response you recognize when it comes to giving, you haven't trusted God with your finances. You haven't trusted him recognizing that 100% of the resources you have have come from him and you haven't responded uh, to his call to give back 10% or a tithe, that's what the Bible calls it, a tithe, back to him. Uh, One place this comes from is Malachi 3.10, where it says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. And so God actually says, it's the only place in Scripture where God actually says, Test me. Try me in this. Try me in a tithe in trusting to give back to me what I gave you in the first place and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of blessing. And so in response to that, uh, over the years as a church, we have offered many times, and we'll do that again now, uh, what we've called a tithe challenge or really an opportunity to take God up on his test. It's not something I would feel comfortable doing aside from the call of God to say, go ahead and try me on this. And so what we've done is we've offered a tithe challenge where if you could try tithing for 90 days, giving back 10% for 90 days, if you don't feel that God has blessed you and cared for you through the result of that obedience, we'll actually give you kind of a marketing term back, a money back guarantee. We'll actually give you all your tithe back after 90 days. No questions asked. Um, on, again, not our word, but on God's word, that you can trust him, that he will throw open the floodgates of heaven and bless you in your obedience in that way. And something that's really interesting to me in the story that I, I didn't really notice until looking at it for a fifth time for us this week is that something that's not mentioned very much as we look at the prodigal son's story and really focus on his leaving and his coming back, that the reality is, is that everything that son ever had really was never earned by him in the first place. You ever notice that? That everything he had before he left and as well as when he returned was all the fathers in the first place. And so maybe in response, you know, you need to take God up on that test and take a tithing challenge for the next 90 days through essentially the end of the year. And so maybe that's your next step. Or not just in giving, you also might recognize that today um, you need to take a step in serving, in serving together. 
And so we've made plans specifically today for you in that regard. That in the lobby, you might have noticed there were several booths or tables set up that uh, if you could take a closer look, they represent various ministries in the life of the church. And so here in a few minutes, um, we're actually going to release you both from this room and the East Auditorium to converge in the lobby for our ministry fair. And if you look at your clocks, it's uh, a good bit earlier than we normally would, a good 15, 20 minutes where either we could um, you know, sing some more worship songs or I could jabber on a little longer. We're actually gonna continue the service and conclude the service, not in this room in the East Auditorium, but actually in the lobby today. And so don't misunderstand, the service is not ending early. Uh, we're not getting out early. We're just literally finishing the service. We're continuing to find out where we might express worship to God. And that's where people, I don't think people are upset and leaving. I think they're going to their booths, so that's good news. Um, hopefully it wasn't that bad of a sermon. But they're going to get ready for you um, so that you can take some time to explore the booths and see an area of ministry where if you're not serving together, you can express some interest in serving together today. And so what you'll find when you get out there are cards that look like this. And they're at every booth and uh, they're all identical. They have all the ministry areas there. And what we're asking you to do is as you visit different ones, go ahead and grab one and just circle any areas of ministry that you might be interested in. You're not committing to them wholeheartedly now. You're not really, maybe you're not sure what the schedule is or what your abilities are with that. But take that first step. Express some interest, fill out your information, and, some, and you can drop that off wherever you pick it up, whatever you circle, you can give it with any person at any booth. We'll get them all together, and then uh, someone will contact you here in the days ahead. And so um, make sure you do that as you uh, check out the different booths and the fun that they have there for you. And then also just want to recognize for those of you watching online, and you're like, shucks, you can still get involved by going to firstdecaturorg slash serve. And you've got all these ministry area opportunities there for you as well. So that's what we're going to do here in a moment. And uh, before we do that, I also want to recognize and say thanks uh, for the steps that those of you have taken to over 700 volunteers, serve together volunteers in the life of our church who are already serving together. And uh, so maybe for you today, you want to just check out maybe another area you might be interested in getting involved in. Or at the bare minimum, it's really cool, I'll tell you, as someone serving in uh, a particular area of ministry, to see the body of Christ at work, to see how your area of ministry is partnering and joining together with dozens of other ministries in the life of this church to accomplish what we're all called to do, and that is to help people find their way back to God and to be more devoted followers of him. And so we're gonna dismiss you here in just a moment. I'm gonna pray for us uh, as we do that. And uh, again, please don't pick up your kids early because they're, they're not done with their stuff yet. And here in, let's see, what do we start at 9.15? So in about 15 minutes, I'll actually do a benediction uh, from the lobby, kind of making our service over officially, uh, both for us in here and the East Auditorium. So I'll pray for us, and then we will meet you for the continuation and conclusion of our service in the ministry fair. Does that make sense? Awesome, lots of nods. Okay, let's pray for you in this regard. Father, I thank you for, um, for this church, uh, for the flexibility, for the, um, their willingness to embrace change and, okay, we're going to go do church standing up and walking around. Um, and just, Father, for the way in which you're moving in hearts right now, uh, that as we explore, maybe we've been checking out um, this place and, and checking you out and trying to find our way back to God, uh, to find our way back to you over several weeks or many months. And uh, that's been limited to just sitting here in this room, shoulder to shoulder in the other room. And uh, we recognize that today we're called to take some next steps, that we're called to, um, to, to take you up on your test, to give generously, to try tithing, giving back 10% of the 100% that you've given us. And for others, God, to step into um, really connecting in the life of this church 
uh, through serving together. There's really no such thing as a non-serving together member of the life of this church. And so, God, would you direct us? Would you move hearts? And most importantly, it says if we love you, we're going to be obedient to you. And so may we do that in the name of Jesus today. Amen.